Hello and welcome to Headcanon. I'm Benjamin Light. And I'm Marco Sparks. And this is a podcast where we talk about film movie franchises. We just wrapped up all eight Harry Potter movies. So we're moving on to a new franchise, a different franchise, The Hunger Games. Starting, of course, with The Hunger Games Part 1, colon, The Hunger Games. What are your thoughts, Marco? I was. We were just discussing off air, how do we not just descend into just shitting on this movie? And maybe it's like whenever you feel that urge coming on, we just say something we really loved about Harry Potter. <laughs> well, you know, we never really did get into much like the legacy of Harry Potter, you know, um, and its its place in our modern myths and whatnot. Um, did you have any thoughts on that? Um, I I'm very curious about the cursed child for for a lot of reasons. You know, people talk about whether or not it's canon or not. Um, I I guess I'm even curious about Fantastic Beasts and where to find them, though. The dynamite combination of David Yates and Colin Farrell doesn't really knock my socks off nor does eddie redmayne um okay tom felton's gonna be in a movie we just saw <laughs> yeah with with spencer hastings um yeah i mean as far as harry potter goes i mean i think the character of hermione more than any other one is like in the pantheon of just like great characters in fiction um, yeah and i think what J.K. Rowling really brought to the table was she really managed to infuse fantasy with very kind of heartfelt emotion um, that you, it's hard to really duplicate on like a personal level. You know, I mean, you get kind of like high epic sweeping fantasy in a lot of things, mm-hmm. but that kind of personal emotional connection, I think, is definitely something that she can lay claim to. Well, she's also reshaped, I think, the landscape for young adult literacy. I guess. I mean, The Hunger Games is definitely part of her legacy, although I feel like there's just such a massive difference between a YA novel and, and what J.K. Rowling is doing. Yeah, but I think I think there was a YA book market again in, in a very real way, mm-hmm. in a very like marketable way, like and not just for the books, but from the books to the movies. There was cash there, like yeah. thanks to stuff she was doing. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely a financial legacy. I guess what's disappointing is that like Harry Potter as a character was a real character and i feel like the the ya surge started this whole new trend where your main character really lacks definition in a lot of ways because the author wants you to kind of project yourself into them mm-hmm. uh, and so we we get katniss everdeen here in this well it's movie. like you then got two different kinds of ya protagonists the utter and total cipher mm-hmm. or the character who had one one note which was anger and katniss is both different times especially in this movie well there there are times when it seems like they're honing in on an idea of who katniss is in the books Mm. and then it just like completely abandons that to like throw out a whole different idea which which we can get into i guess um before we do our opening statements we should just talk about we both read the books right Mm -hmm. i just reread the hunger game so it's fresh in my mind right now um i had read them before the movie was even announced, I think. Because I, I remember no, I, when, when... I think it had just been announced when you and I... Because you and I read them about the same time, right? Or you read them, like, maybe just a few weeks before me? I remember that when they cast Jennifer Lawrence, my thought was, that doesn't seem like the girl in the book. So I must have yeah. read the books a little bit before, at least. Okay. Well, it was it was probably, like... Because there was a hunt, remember? Much like for uh, Elizabeth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There was, like, a hunt for the right actress. Um, yeah, and I think you and I had started them before they, they settled on her... 
And like reading the book around that time, I really thought Katniss would be half black or somebody with a much more. Well, she's described as having, skin. yeah, all of complexion. So, yeah. yeah. Um, also, just her youth and like the struggle of having to grow up before your time really came across to me in the book. And it's like they personified that in an actress who is 20 years old as opposed to someone who I feel is 16 acting older. I don't know. I don't think there's anything wrong with having an older actor. I mean, a lot of times that's just for practical He's, considerations. Well, and and age and economics. Yeah. So you don't have to have her on set for only four hours a day. Mm-hmm. Uh, so anyway, let's get into it. What's your opening statement? So from from the director of Seabiscuit in Pleasantville, you get this movie, which in general, I'm going to say some shit about it. Uh, you know, get a cannon ready. Oh, yeah, we should mention director Gary Ross, writer, sorry, Gary Ross, Suzanne Collins, and Billy Ray. Suzanne Collins is the author of the book. I don't know if she wrote any of the other subsequent adaptations. Um, you know, a little cup of, of a few Dramamine pills should have been handed out as folks shuffled into the theater in this. I think we both saw this just the one time in the theater mm-hmm. weekend. Uh, I guess I would sum it up with the difference between this and Harry Potter for me. Like Harry Potter, you have this whole menagerie of great supporting actors doing amazing work with just a very little bit of screen time. Whereas in Hunger Games, other than your your big three and really in the movie, it's like your big two and a half, two and one one quarter. You have like a death march of strong supporting actors forced to dress up like Lady Gaga on vacation on the planet Naboo. <laughs> Thankless roles. They don't really provide any meat for us to ponder the the moral issues that I think the movies would like to grab with as, as the books certainly did. And for everything else I would say about the film, I'll just turn it over to you instead. <laughs> okay. Well, I'll try to be brief. I mean, I should say, you know, take everything I have to offer with a grain of salt. This movie made a shitload of money, a mm-hmm. uh, $152.5 million opening weekend, which is absolutely insane numbers. One of the biggest opening weekends ever. Uh, I do think that's more of a triumph of marketing and kind of capitalizing on a popular property, underserved audience kind of thing, rather than like any reflection of the quality of the movie. Mm -hmm. But I mean, there you go. Like, it's hard to complain at the massive box office. So what do I know? Uh, I like the books. They're a little bit kind of young adult cheesy, but Mm -hmm. I think that's supposed to be part of the appeal. I mean, because, you know, these teenagers obviously read these books. Adults read them, too. I think the success of this movie is it's surprising because the movie's so bad. Uh, I feel like the movie fumbles everything that made the book addictive and enjoyable. Mm-hmm. And I think it's all its priorities. Like this movie has really weird priorities about the story it's trying to tell. Mm-hmm. It seems like it's more interested in the gamekeepers and President Snow than it is in Katniss and her romance. And so we get this movie that's it's targeted at a teen audience that completely half-asses the central romance and the Hunger Games themselves. Mm-hmm. And it's more interested in these kind of nebulous ideas about totalitarian power and uprisings. Um, if I could be reductive, I would say that this, as, as the audience were Katniss, this movie needed to be PETA, and instead it's Gale. <laughs> and you know how that ends. <laughs> Um, I would I would describe the first novel as a weekend book that is more sophisticated and it's like political and social uh, satire than you would expect. Uh, but and, and yet movie, I do feel like it's sort of window dressing, though. Yeah, yeah. But the but I mean I think I think it has essentially in some regards the same 
love story as like Twilight, but it's used to a much better degree. Um, the movie is far too obsessed with its villains. Like you said, the framework of the totalitarian regime. Um, one well, of the I, that- I guess I always felt like the, um, the society that this story takes place in is a little bit window dressing. Like to me, especially rereading it, I feel like what uh, Suzanne Collins is really honing in on is the concept of reality TV and the way people are, you know, they're acting differently between who they are and who they're, they're trying to be to please other people. I feel like that was really like where she, she landed the most punches in the book. Um, but it seems like the filmmakers weren't as interested in that. Well, I think, I think the movie or the, the audience going into the movie initially wanted to make a lot of really easy battle Royale jokes and or comparisons. And really, I think for the movie, it's maybe more Truman Show. Don't get me it, fucking started on Battle Royale fans. Like, oh, yeah, yeah. They told you guys totally invented uh, the most dangerous game in like the year 2000. That didn't exist at all before that. But I mean, there's there's much more of a, a Truman Show aspect to to the movie. But it's also it's like it's like armchair quarterbacking, just basic. I don't know. Dystopian <laughs> literature. Mm-hmm. Uh, this movie hurts. Well, let's talk about our top three moments. You know, but you know what I would say, which is fucking ridiculous, is I would say I would went into the first Divergent movie and walked out enjoying it more than I enjoyed the first Hunger Games movie. And the Divergent movie does not hold up, like, logically, once the lights come back. The Divergent the movie knows its audience. It's like, yeah, we're going to give you some cheese, and this is, this is going to be dumb, and you're going to love it. Whereas <laughs> this movie seems like it thinks it's above the books or something. Like, yeah. um, Gary Ross... Yeah, we'll, we'll get to. Uh, I feel like the fact that we're talking about this means that we have to do divergent movies at some point because I can't Eventually. wait to talk about the like Mountain Dew faction. All I know is I almost fell asleep during the second movie. I don't even know what happened there. Oh, the, the second divergent movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's about right. <laughs> well, I'll the say first, first the first divergent movie is kind of like a masterpiece of cheese, but yeah, second one. Hmm. Let me say one thing. You know, because we're gonna say a lot of negative things. Let me say one positive thing about the Hunger Games. No Miles Teller. There you go. Like 0% Miles Teller. Yeah. Uh, so uh, I think we both came up struggling for top three moments. It was a little tough. Yeah. <sighs> My number three, I went for the easy one. It's when Katniss volunteers for tribute. Um, granted, the film managed to make Elizabeth Banks look gross here, which was a feat. But uh, I think they kind of captured the cold awkwardness of uh, this moment uh, leading up to the names being announced and the filmmaking uh, prevented me from even choosing that moment. It was so so bad. That's fair. What's yours? Uh, my favorite. Oh, I was on complaints there. Let me scroll up. My favorite moment. <laughs> every time we cut. Freudian. Every time we cut to Gail seeing Peta and Katniss kiss, I'm just like, yeah, in your fucking face, Gail. Like, I really wanted there to be like some other dude who's just like next to Gail the whole time, and it's just like, oh, bro, like, like doing that thing where like he bites his fist or whatever. She's like, shit, oh, that sucks, man. Yeah, like I really wanted like you know a random other character who's just always there to to tell us just in case we didn't know how much this sucks for poor Gail. Who uh, I had some thoughts about Gail. (laughs) Yeah. I I don't understand Team Gale people. I'll just say that. <laughs> if you've read the books, Katniss she doesn't really like Gale romantically. I mean, she she loves him as a friend, but it's it's clear where her like true romantic feelings lie right from the start, and it's not with Gale. Honestly, I can't say that the movie made me feel like she 
loved him. Not really, no. Honestly, so here's here's what Gail should have done. He should have just volunteered at the same time as her. As soon as she threw her name out, he should have thrown his name out too. Because in his world, she's not going to survive anyway. They might as well go down fighting together. Yeah, he has like a whole family to take care of though. But he spends his whole time like out like picking flowers or whatever while they're all watching Katniss on their mm-hmm. holographic screens in their sci-fi Dust Bowl town. Vertical holographic screens. That yeah. really bothered me. That's a terrible. Like, There's a reason TV screens are wide, not tall. <laughs> uh, oh, I, I did want to just give an honorable mention to Cato's uh, kind of breakdown at the end when he, he kind of figures out what the games are really about and that he's supposed to die. Uh, I... That was a decent moment. I like the guy playing Kato. He was much more effective doing what he's doing than similar douche bro anger guy in uh, the Maze Runner. The first one. Do you remember that dude? Oh, yeah, that guy. That guy who's like, hey, main cypher bro. I both hate you and I think I kind of in love with you. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, what's your number two? Um, Did you do your number three? Oh, yeah. Is it it Kato? Okay. Well, Um, no, wait. My real number three is uh, just Gail having to watch Pete and Katniss kiss. Oh, okay. Good, good, good. Uh, my number two is dropping the bees on the uh, cadre of other tribute assholes. Not that it was like like masterfully handled on film, but I just thought that's a fun thing to do a bunch of assholes. You know, Glimmer there is the uh, the love interest in the Sarah Connor Chronicles. Who oh, gets killed she? off eventually, yeah. She's in something else too. Oh, she Levin, pops up. Levin Rabin. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah. I I guess that scene's okay. Is that your number two? No. Uh, my number two is uh, President Snow's little talk that he has with Seneca Crane about underdogs, mm. which can basically be boiled down to, have you ever been to West Virginia? Nobody roots for those Morlocks. <laughs> he's like, everyone roots for an underdog. He's like, I don't. He's, he's like, have you ever been to District 12? Have you seen those people? Yeah. <laughs> uh, and it seems to have no impact on Crane at all. Like, Snow's basically saying like, Watch yourself, buddy. And then Crane turns around and, like does the exact wrong thing. The 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 bit where Crane walks in and there's just the bowl of berries waiting for him is cold blooded, but it just doesn't feel like it fit in this movie. I feel like they really wanted that imagery in this movie, which yeah. is why Seneca Crane even exists as a character in this movie. Yeah, yeah. The head when guy he's like mentioned once in Catching Fire. At the head guy at the danger room uh holodeck mm-hmm. facility, yeah. Ugh. My number one is just laying rude to rest with the flowers and everything. It's it's like the sweetest moment, this whole fucking shit show. It makes me somewhat believe that a riot would ensue from it when people watch that. It's uh, There's like a level of emoting that I felt like Katniss finally deserved is that she broke down a little bit. Because um, otherwise, she's fairly neutral about her whole fucking lot in life throughout a lot of this. And mm-hmm. I, I just appreciate this moment. I, I had a, you know, <laughs> extra shout out to all the fucking racist morons who freaked out of Rue's casting. Yeah, they so had they don't know how to read. Yeah. yeah, they don't know how to read the book. But uh, yeah, that'd be my number one. Okay, well, my number one is just the scene where she shoots the apples to blow up the supplies. I thought just for once we actually felt the tension there. Um, mm. And for once the handheld camera made sense because it was kind of Katniss's point of view. Um, so... Yeah, I didn't have an easy time coming up with my top three, but there you go. Well, it it showed her like using some guile, I think. It wasn't just like generic hunting skills per se. Mm-hmm. Um. All right, how, well, how how would have Hermione fared in the Hunger Games? 
Or would Hermione have been smart enough to never find herself in the fucking Hunger Games? That, I mean, she would have just, like, used some fucking magic. And... She would have Although it. that reminds me at the end, I think we need to talk about how we would do in the Hunger Games. Hmm. And then who from PLL should have been in this movie? Oh. <laughs> we're... Folks, we're really trying here. Mm-hmm. So I while I write that down, why don't you tell us your complaints, if you uh, have any at all? <laughs> Can you can you imagine that I would? Uh, usually, I don't have the the top three bottom moments like you do. Um, my number one would be anything to do with Peta and his cake decorating skills, <laughs> and the poor ass coal mining town bakery, and just the fucking imagery of him wounded there in like the stream, like having made up like the rock face. So I'm curious, uh, when you saw this in the theater, did the whole theater start laughing at that moment? It was yeah. It was not intentional laughter. It was yeah. not the good kind of laughter. That's that's how it was in my theater. There, <laughs> it's just like, oh my god, really? Well, because there was that you know to break up the wave of nausea that people felt en masse with the fucking shaky camera when you didn't need it. Mm-hmm. Well, that that speaks to my number one complaint with this movie is the camera work. It's just inexcusable. I can't imagine what they thought when they saw the dailies for this movie. Um, it's just this constant like wobbling camera. It's cutting to these different angles constantly. And it, it makes me feel like the filmmakers themselves are like distracted or bored the way it just keeps cutting around and looking at different things. Mm-hmm. It's like, am I supposed to be bored right now? Like it just completely ruins the suture between me and the movie. Which is funny because so Soderbergh did some second unit stuff on this. He mm-hmm. shot the stuff with the riot from Ruse District. Yeah, and- this, this is completely unnecessary to the movie, but yeah. But I mean, that documentary camera style was much better. It was like usual Soderbergh style as opposed to like, I mean, it starts from the very beginning of the movie. Like, for, like I can understand when you actually get into the arena. I can understand that's the style you're going for. It's but everywhere. It's, not, it's like, every- it, like in the uh, the reaping scene with Effie Trinket up there and the camera, like it keeps on like. It's moving around in front of her. It's behind her. Like it's, it's like delirious. Who's, whose yeah. perspective is this supposed to be? I don't like. What are you trying to communicate here? Like you just like you keep cutting constantly, and it's just like what what did you think this was gonna like put the audience in the state of mind as? Because I just feel like kind of disoriented and and annoyed by the whole thing. Well, can we get into the worst joke of all time about the camera work? Sure. It's from I think the CinemaSins people. Director of photography, Michael J. Fox. <laughs> I mean, I just like, did they even storyboard this? It doesn't seem like it. What um, was the storyboard blurry? <laughs> yeah. Like, it, I mean, it's just inexcusable. Uh, and we'll, we, I think a little later, I want to talk about like the violence in the movie and like theoretical like justifications for it. But I just, I, it's like floors me that it's that bad. Yeah. All right. What's your number two? Uh, that's 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 it. I mean that mm-hmm. and and you know stuff with the the pita bread flashback mm. that they just kept cutting up and chopping up and throwing at you more and more. It just. I mean, I, I do wonder if you hadn't read the book, would that ever fully like make sense to you? I it's like he threw her bread. I guess you know. I mean, there's a lot of stuff. There's there's a surprising amount of stuff, and I think Harry Potter. You can still, except for Goblet of Fire. <laughs> you could still have a fairly enjoyable experience having not read the books. I mean, I, I managed to survive all these years without reading six of those books. But there's a lot of stuff in this that's just inexcusably confusing, I think, if you haven't read the books. Like, when she asks him, how many times did you put your name in? And like, there's mm, no yeah. follow-up with that until like later on, I, knowing from the book, 
when she tells the sister, like, don't take any extra food because that'll put your name in. They don't they don't spell out those two points at all. Like you have no idea that's in there. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, my number two complaint, and I realize this may be unpopular and I, I may be going against the grain here. I'm not really a fan of Jennifer Lawrence's interpretation of Katniss. I I think of course the script doesn't help her at all, but Katniss comes off as kind of dumb in this movie. Uh, like it doesn't seem like she has any sort of like hunter's instinct at all. Like when the games begin, she just like stands around mouth open, like catching flies, like watching shit go down. Like she never comes off as calculating to me. She's just like, I don't know what they were going for, but I just get like blank faced, not stone faced, you know? Um, it's, I don't know. Her performance just doesn't really work for me. It may be a little bit of that is because she's based on like a, a YA character who's a bit of a cipher. Like I thought it's funny. No, the, I think it's the movie. Well, in the books at one point, we're told that she has like an awful disposition by Hamish. You know, it's like, oh, you're just like, you know, but, personality slug. But then at a later point in the books, Peter's just like, oh, she doesn't understand the effect she has on people. And it's like, well, which is it? But I think, I, I, I think at least with the book, you get inside her head. You understand where mm-hmm. she's coming from, and it's like it's yeah. Like, there's an internal monologue. Of, it's first person narrative. There's like the you know, the argument of like, don't comment on my resting bitch face. It's just my face. Fuck you. Like the the whole the, the movie's not doing her any favors. I mean, I've grown to like J Law, the public persona. I like what she can do in some other movies. I mean, she's the only good part of like American Hustle to me. But her performance is so shackled and drowned in this role. I mean, honestly. If Keanu Reeves had been cast <laughs> as Katniss, he would have turned in the exact same performance. Well, like, yeah, like I said, some of it's just a script. They they don't write her to be particularly smart. I mean, she has a certain capability to her, but you just never see it in her eyes. Like, this is somebody who, like, kills animals for food regularly and is good at it. And I, I just don't get that from her performance. Yeah. And, and, and just, like, the actions it has her do sometimes. Um, so well, that's she's just not... Two. I mean, I don't know. Are they playing her like as being in shock for half the movie? It seems like it. Yeah. Yeah. It seems like she's it's like they're downplaying her her kind of more calculating nature. It's like I, I believe her in the in the scenes where she's like, you know, pep talking her sister or telling her mom to get her mm-hmm. shit together because she's not going to be around. And then it's like she she pops like 12 Xanaxes right after and just kind of coasts for a long time. I mean, it's it's little things. I, like I, like now I'm like you. I've read the book. I I I've grown to appreciate the book so much more watching the movie. When she shoots the arrow at the game masters, mm-hmm. her little personal trial there, her personal judging session. I love that. I love that detail too. Is like after that they put up glass or whatever. They put up a force field yeah, in the next book. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. The, the moment where she gets like thrust into the actual arena is really frustrating. She Although, just stands around. It's like what the fuck. Because the two movies were blended together in my head, I was like, oh, I can't wait to watch Lenny Kravitz get the shit kicked out of him. <laughs> hey, uh, say what you will for Lenny. I feel like he did a good job as Cinna. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Any any other complaints? <sighs> Too many. <laughs> Too okay. many for one, one area. Well, I mean, my, my last one is just, I feel like the interplay of reality and reality TV is such a major part of the book. Mm. especially concerning the romance. And I think the movie just fails completely to capture this. You don't feel the dichotomy, like the juxtaposition of these two guys floating in her head at all. You don't feel her struggle with like, well, well you don't tend to love Peter and maybe actually falling in love with him or the moment. Yeah. And like, and when she's being real versus when she's, you know, pretending, 
Um, I just feel like it was such a misfire to present the story as like a look behind the production of the games mm-hmm. rather than as a reality TV show itself. Because, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, I know that like without the internal monologue, that's probably tough to execute. Um, but the director, it's just like he's not up to the task, especially it's it's literally like there's 25 minutes left in the movie when Pete and Katniss finally are like, you know, in the same place together in the games. Like it's like the very end of the movie when they finally get together. Yeah. It's yeah. you can't you know, that's your central romance. And it's like you didn't care until like the very end of the movie to even like address it at all. The hour that it took to get to the, the arena itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they the. The struggle between like she knows that this is the the way she has to play it, this is her strategy, to like some of those kisses feel nice, it feels good in the moment. And I think that's that that whether it's real or not is really crucial considering like the last line of the last book, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, real or not. Whether or not this is real or not. Yeah, like Well, you know, just simple things like like touching another person, you know, I, I feel like that should have some weight to it, especially when it's Pita and Katniss, but the direction Camera's going all over the place. You don't feel any moments like that. Right. Um, honorable mention: they couldn't even get the right fucking kind of cat for Buttercup. That's just, I mean. Well, that the cat, the her relationship with the cat makes no sense. I felt like, c- considering like you get, I, I'm amazed how much more backstory between her relationship with the, her sister's cat you get mm-hmm. in the uh, the fucking book. I mean, like that's a pretty bizarre exchange in the movie. The cat's I mean, like, hiss. I'm a, I'm a mangy fucking cat. Could, could just you like, at least get? A, a cat that would de- be deserving of the name Buttercup. Yeah. Not some black and white cat. Uh. Anyway, source material. Mm, the cornucopia looks like shit. Yeah, it's supposed to be a big golden horn. Yeah. That's, that wasn't golden horn. Uh, in the books, Madge, the mayor's daughter, mm-hmm. who Katniss like, believes he realizes was her friend, as uh, the one who gives her the Mockingjay pin. And there's like a whole history behind that, which they... They cut all out, which I can understand why, although it would be neat to have Madge as a character. Um, I guess what's weird about it is that like Katniss buys the pin, gives it to her sister, and then her sister gives it back. Mm-hmm. That seems a little odd to me. I, like Maybe just have the sister give it to her or something. I don't know. Yeah. Um, the uh, the tributes are like sparring with each other and training. That's not mm-hmm. supposed to happen? No. Yeah. Well, missing from the book. Satire of all sorts. Peta's like super serious leg injury. The Avoxes, people looking hungry and or truly impoverished. <laughs> yeah, the anything, hunger part. Yeah, anything that happens in a character's head that would make the story seem worth a damn. Like you don't get her inner struggle. You don't get her playing things with the camera. Well, you know, they, they cut out the bit where Hamish tells them not to show off their best skill and training, mm-hmm. which I don't know why. I mean, there was like there were scenes where they could have like had him say that and he never did. And that shows that he's intelligent and knows what he's doing yeah you know um they also had her they they had her run into foxface towards the uh start of the games Mm -hmm. and it felt like it made foxface seem more sympathetic uh like foxface was scared too in the books katniss gets a sense that foxface is dangerous like she's not somebody like rouge he could team up with foxface is definitely the kind of like slit your throat while you're sleeping right uh so it is Kato, Clove, Rue, Marvel, Glimmer, Thresh, and Foxface were like the big ones. Yeah, the other ones aren't very important. Um, I mean, it's like I, I have to wonder how much of this is like, are they, are they copying Harry Potter? Or like, we need goofy names, but like, we need to make them extra goofy. 
memorable. Yeah. Like Claudius Templesmith. Or, and like vaguely Roman for the whole bread and circus mm-hmm. and M thing. Yeah. There are way too many swords in the cornucopia. Yeah. Like there should be like one. You know, like that's mm-hmm. kind of the way the gains are. It's like there's one weapon of a type, you know, like one spear, one sword, one bow. There's more swords in that cornucopia than there are tributes in the games. <laughs> was uh was the bow and arrow in the games as described in the book? I couldn't remember that detail. You mean as opposed to being like a compound bow or something? Yeah, like just the, the weird like metal. I don't think it it really described. I mean, I know when she she tests out the bow in the training facility, it's it's different and has a heavier draw than her bow, but I don't think they go too much into like I, that design. was the detail that I liked. That that was like the kind of thing that the capital could provide was these mm-hmm. weird metal bows that makes this weird metal scraping sound when you pull the string back as the the metal moves on metal. Um, because every time she pulled her 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 arrow back to aim at something, I was just like, you hear it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I don't hunter, think that was in the books. As a hunter, you'd be very trepidatious about your prey hearing you. I think. Mm-hmm. <sighs> yeah, she doesn't have a whole whole lot of hard time finding water. In the book, she like nearly dies of thirst. Like that's like a, a huge hardship right at the opening of the games. I and mean, a lot of this stuff is stuff that obviously they're just cutting to shorten things out. Um, what else we got? The Re- well, the I, I would much rather it was like in the book where you having her inferring the hard work that Hamish is doing, like buttering up the sponsors and trying to like make deals for her out outside of the game, as to like you see him chatting up. Like one freakish looking woman looks like an extra from Brazil. Well, the weirdest part of that scene is that he's doing that while she's up a tree when her fate is almost not in question anymore. And it's like, that's the wrong time to go shopping for a sponsor. Yeah. (laughs) Right? Yeah. Like, you should have already had the sponsor lined up. Like, nobody wants a sponsor. They're like, chick's going to die. She's up a tree surrounded by five people. Well, I could see, like, if I'm the 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 first time screenwriter mm-hmm. Gary Ross or the author of the book who wants to get into screenwriting and I'm sitting down thinking like well here's the thing in the book where we never really get how that system works we should show that in the movie I'm still pretty fucking vague about like the whole like whining and dining and greetings people and trying to like schmooze. that's why I think you should just not show it exactly yeah well then him like it didn't seems to be like isn't that a conflict of interest to go actually talk to the game master himself? <laughs> he goes and talks to Seneca Crane to like conv- seemingly convince him to change the rules or something. It, or it's just so change weird. the narrative. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's it's like uh, who was talking about somebody? We were we were reading something or somebody on on Twitter was talking about how uh, there's the different generations of uh, of the people from the Hunger Games. That oh, the victors. This, yeah. The Snow generation it, like knows that this is still a political tool. And then you have like the West Bentley uh, devil beard generation who thinks that this is all about like TV ratings. Let me ask you this. If, if you hadn't read the books, would you think that West Bentley was President Snow's son? Yep. Doesn't it like or, or his nephew? Yeah. There's a very paternal thing going on there that it's like then, he, you know, he's like, oh, is he going to get executed at the end or forced to kill himself? But it. It it really seems like these little like father son chats you're having throughout the movie. Um, yeah, the fact that it weird. starts with Wes Bentley. Yeah, that like like I said, priorities. But uh, I'd like to point out one more one more thing from this source. The movie sends video on this movie says it starts off with anyone who has that facial hair definitely has herpes. <laughs> well, no, I'm not gonna go there. <laughs> um, 
what else we have source material wise? Uh, Rue's death is a little bit different. Katniss doesn't get to her first. She basically like kind of rushes into the clearing just as Rue has been stabbed. Hmm. Um, I don't know. I, that change doesn't really affect things overall though. Uh, no sleep syrup to knock Pita out. She basically just waits till he goes to sleep. She doesn't drug him. Mm. I kind of liked her her more mercenary side there. Uh, there was one bit I really wish they'd included was that when Thresh kills uh, Clove there, mm-hmm. and he's standing over Katniss, and Katniss just assumes he's going to kill her because that's mm-hmm. what happens in the Hunger Games, and she says, "Make it quick." You know, she's like, "Make it quick, Thresh," which is like a really cool way to show her acceptance of her death. And, you know, it's kind of like one warrior to another type thing. Mm-hmm. Um, instead, Thresh, I don't know, he's just like, hey, we're cool. And he just runs off, you know. Oh, you get one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, the the movie has to like, they have to make, what is it, Kato? They have to show him, even though you're in this thing where kids are killing kids, they have to show you from the very beginning that just so you, in case you forgot, he's going to be the villain. Well, so he's much more of a him, psychopath in the book. Yeah, anything we're going to do to him is like going to be intentional. I mean, they they make sure that like Katniss remains as morally pure as possible because she only ever harms people who've harmed somebody else first. Kind like of like they show Cato like 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 slitting that little curly haired boy's throat or whatever. Yeah, there's no armor for him at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, in the book, I did like just the wording when they changed the rules back. They're like, oh, after a closer reading, I was like that line description. Um, and then, uh, when Katniss, when they change the rules at the very end, Katniss sees Peta pull his knife out and she like gets her bow up cause she thinks like it's, it's go time. They're going to attack each other. And then he's just throwing the knife away and she feels like shit cause she's about to kill him. Yeah. Um, I did like that. Isn't there something different with Claudius in the book? Yeah, he's not, he's different. I think he's like not one of the commentators or something like that. Okay. Um, and one last line I wish they could have included uh, in the interview at the end with Caesar Flickerman. And he's asking her, you know, like, when when did you start to, you know, fall for PETA? And, you know, she's saying it's after they changed the rules the first time. And she says, maybe because for the first time there's a chance I could keep him, which is like a really great line. You know, it's there's a implied innocence there mm-hmm. uh, and, and a certain kind of possessive romance like I don't know why they didn't use that line. It's a great well, line. Well, it gives you it gives you the glimmer of hope mm-hmm. in in an otherwise like you know hopeless world. All right. Um, what about so, the the dress on fire? Oh, that's in the book. I know, but I mean, yeah. how did you feel about the fire? Like the '90s effects. The CGI is a little dodgy. I mean, this movie is a hundred million dollar budget that uh, they had like enough subsidies to knock it down to like seventy eight million or something. This, from what I, can I'm not sure if you see it all on screen, or maybe they just spent too much money filming like uprisings you didn't need to see. Yeah, I mean, from what I can gather, like Lionsgate Entertainment, like this was their hail mary pass. Mm-hmm. They put everything into this movie, and if it didn't work, like they would have almost yeah. for as a company. Well, maybe they spent too much money on like the like CGI like gamekeepers computer thing where they're doing all these hand gestures and all that bullshit, like. How Which, much, you know, shave a couple million off if you cut that out? So I watched some video where they were talking about why they did it that way. And it was like they wanted to keep the the how the, the arena works vague. And I was like, you're making it seem less vague. Like everything's a hologram or something. Yeah. It, 
the whole thing. Oh, it's like, like what this, if you just didn't show that? Mm. Yeah, when they construct like the Hulk CGI dog and then like throw it in there, I was. Ugh. Yeah. So, uh, moving on to the general discussion, I wanted to talk about the violence in this movie. Do you think it was too much, too little? I think it was standard movie violence, really. I feel like if there is ever a movie that both demanded an R rating and a teenage audience, it's this one. Hmm. You know. Yeah, I can see that. Um, like this is it's supposed to be violent and jarring, but it's also this is intended for teenagers. You want them to see that kind of violence and and really kind of think about it. Well, you should you should make the kids shy away from the violence more than the sex in movies. And it's it's mm-hmm. it's really not that way. Well, you know, theoretically, one of the reasons for all the shaky cam was the violence, like especially in the bloodbath. But you still see plenty of blood. Mm. Um, where is this? I have this quote from Gary Ross here. He says that his decision had a lot to do with the urgency of what's going on and to reflect Katniss's point of view, the, the shaky cam, that is. Uh, he wanted to avoid a polished static camera look at all costs since that would reduce the violence to mere entertainment and be completely contrary to the movie's intention. That, to me, says he didn't totally understand the book. Well, because, like, as as much as it's a comment on, like, the absurdity of reality TV. One of the reasons the book is so addictive is because we want to see how the games go down. You know, yeah. it's like, be honest with yourself about like the, what you're making here. You can't get, have your cake and eat it too. Yeah. Well, I think the fact that Gary Ross's next movie is a civil war drama would talk a lot about what he was really interested in with the story. Mm-hmm. Also that yeah, movie, not that, Katniss. That's for sure. Yeah. That next movie stars McConaughey. Um, and can you imagine if McConaughey had been in this movie with Woody Harrelson? That would have been interesting. That would have been fascinating. Mm-hmm. Woody Harrelson, like the closest this movie has to a snake. I guess. I mean, that's that's a very, very weak comparison, but yeah. <laughs> he's, he's actually gotten not a bad wig for Woody Harrelson. I feel like a lot of times I see movies of Woody Harrelson's hair, and I'm like, no, he's still bald. I know he's bald. And this one, I was like, okay, it's not horrible. He's <laughs> just playing Woody Harrelson. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the violence, I don't know. I mean, it, I I don't think you can excuse the shake camp for that. I'll get, I'll just say that. there's You still see plenty of blood. Mm-hmm. Uh, so another just idea I want to throw out here. Should this movie have a narrator? I don't know about a narrator, but I mean, I think I think they sh- there's sh- I would like to see a draft that has Katniss's internal monologue. I mean, it's a first-person book, and so it really is essential in the book. Mm-hmm. And I know that that is always a hard transition when you're going to make a movie because, you know, theoretically, a narrator is kind of a crutch. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I mean, there is all this, like, title card exposition. Mm-hmm. And, you know, especially at the beginning, that does make me wonder whether or not they should have just bit the bullet. And, and yeah, I would love to at least see a draft with a narrator. Because may- think, maybe all those like blank stares from Katniss would mean something more for hearing her thoughts. Well, I I pondered for a moment. Every time they just had her stare off in the space, I pondered like, I wonder if there was like mm. like like a voiceover that they cut here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I mean, I think I think the thing about having a narrator or having having voiceovers is you need a director and an editor who can handle that. And I mean, like look at. Well, for whatever reason, like Fincher and Fight Club. Well, and I think you also need a, a director who's interested in the character doing the narrating. Yeah. And it, it really just doesn't seem like Gary Ross well, is. It's like Peter Jackson doing Lord of the Rings, and you can tell Peter Jackson does not give a shit about the Hobbits. Yeah. 
It's like Peter Jackson doing The Hobbit, and you can tell he doesn't give a shit about The Hobbits. <laughs> um, I mean, I feel like he would have gone the David Yates route of like, let's just have a spinning newspaper fly at the camera every five seconds if he could have. See, I'm surprised that they didn't try to go more for like straight up like this is a reality TV show with like yeah. tons of graphics on screen. Talking heads. And, yeah, the, yeah, the whole yeah. bit. Like, I'm surprised they didn't go more in that direction. Instead, they went in this really weird direction. Um, I mean, I, I don't think it's an accident that Gary Ross did not come back to do the next movie. Let's just put it that way. Uh, do you buy the idea of alliances within the game or is that a little bit too crids from survivor? Um, I don't buy alliances like they're presented in this movie because they're a little too fucking chummy. The whole thing I kept thinking about was that like, I could buy it within the district, but okay. across district, it just seems like, like what would happen if like, you know, in one of the previous hunger games, you know, one of the district one careers had to kill the district two career at the end. Like, I feel like that would build some ill will. Yeah. And you know, it, all it would take is one time for somebody to, to be like, fuck this. Like my three competitors are all asleep right now. I could slit their throats and you know, like way increase well, my they're... chances of winning. And like, once you do that, how can you ever have alliances again? There'd be so there much ill will. There should have been like Treasure of the Sierra Madre, like constant mind games, bickerings, and like I don't know that I can trust you. You don't know you can trust me, or like yeah, in my in, in our sleep, and the five of us foolishly, mm -hmm. naively, all slept at the same time together. Yeah, I, I'm not gonna well, lie, I slit that guy's throat. But here's why you still need me. Yeah. Well, I mean, you, you get that a little bit in Catching Fire because Katniss is in uh, an alliance. Well, everything about um, Catching Fire is better. Yeah. But I, we should throw out that I think we're a little more excited to talk about Catching Fire than we are this particular movie. Oh, for sure. Yeah. It's just something I wonder about, like watching the alliances in this movie. Like, would you ever be able to even mildly trust these people? Well, because like, these the, are going to be your biggest competitors if you're successful. The cool click just like laughing and joking about who they're going to go stab to death next. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah, what else we got? What do you think of J-Law's hair? Yeah, it was just hair. Obviously dyed, right? Like, oh, yeah, she it, dyed her hair. Yeah, it, yeah. it just, there's something about it. It doesn't seem to match her skin tone. I feel like it should have been a little bit lighter. Or just like wear a wig. I don't know. Something about the hair didn't look right, right to me. I, I sometimes wonder if somebody else would have been better as Katniss and J-Law would have been better as um, like Joanna. I don't know. Jenna Malone's really good as Joanna. Oh, Mason, I, I so fucking. I don't, don't want to mess with that. I'm not gonna lie to you. Our next episode is gonna mm -hmm. be just me talking about Jenna Malone for two hours. Mm -hmm. But uh, uh... <laughs> when Jenna Malone shows up for like five seconds in Mockingjay Part One, you're just like, "Hey, what's going on with her? Why haven't we been watching a hurt movie about her the whole time?" Oh, I, I stood up. I was about to. I was about to do a wave in the mm -hmm. theater. Everyone else wasn't joining me. I was like, "Well, that's awkward." Um, yeah, I fucking love Jenna Malone. I wish she was in so many more things. I would love a movie where it's Jenna Malone and Case Do just, just being awesome. Yeah. All right. All right. All right. I mean, I do think this movie gets a little bit better when you get to the games and whatnot. Um, but I feel like the opening, they make so many bad decisions that it really wrong foots you. It's like it's an uphill battle just to engage in the story. Mm -hmm. Like they're they're so hungry. The like Gail like makes her give up on a deer. Like it's all a big joke, and like yeah. her, they're just like laughing. It's like way too lighthearted at the beginning of this movie. He, they play him like a little too fucking like heartthrobby. Like he's a little too fucking James Deeney 
mm-hmm. um, but with no dialogue to back I, everything but himself. But I mean, you have the movie like again it, the the way the movie presents certain aspects completely invalidates the rest. If you've got all these fucking fantastical holodeck danger room shit, why are these assholes still poor? I mean, it's not well, just it's about just, power. You know, subjugate them. It's not just about that. I mean, you it, give them that, TV. That's what it is, though. I mean, that's that's you're what just, it is. You're just making them all Catholic. You're you're making them all dependent on the capital to survive, <sighs> and they in turn, you know, mine coal or you know, make shove, shove a little more shit, make food or you know, all the other districts. I thought it was kind of a funny little burn that Prim has on her mom when she's like, "I wish I looked like Katniss," and which obviously, like Katniss does not look like her mom. I thought that was funny. Yeah. The design of Effie Trinket? Oh, it's a little bit scary. Primrose Everdeen. You mean the voice alone? I mean, just everything about Effie Trinket. So maybe, like, turn it down a little? I don't know. The Just the general color palette of the people of the Capitol and, like, their fashion was harsh. So I, I went and timed it. There's two minutes in this movie just spent showing the kids lining up for the reaping. And then another two minutes explaining the Hunger Games to us when the title cards already did. I feel like this movie isn't very efficient with uh, well, its its narration there. I think it shows a movie that doesn't trust its own ability to communicate its mm-hmm. own world. I mean, I don't, I don't think even Divergent spends that kind of time explaining their fucking self. They just like here's the factions and let's go. Yeah, our trains don't even stop. We just jump on that shit. <laughs> There's the Mountain on. Dew faction. Yeah. <laughs> also, what did you think about the score or the lack thereof in certain scenes? Uh, it's a much different movie. Like they they have like the the Ken Burns documentary like violin, you know, for District Twelve shit. Mm-hmm. And then I don't even remember what it is for the capital, but it's it's like it's not it's everything is shot differently of these different worlds, but they don't convey as much. I felt like of the Katniss being a fish out of water to to do that, you know, like she should be the holdover from twelve when the whole movie changes when they get to the capital and vice versa. I, I was thought... hung up on little things like like what do Woody Harrelson's feet smell like when he puts <laughs> them up on Peta's chest. Yeah. I thought, especially in the reaping scene, they they cut the score out. I think it's supposed to make it emotionally immediate or whatever. You can hear your own beating. I don't think it helps. No. Um, like, I shouldn't notice when there's no score, I guess. Like, it should all... Yeah. I should feel the emotion and not feel like this is kind of... like I felt like it, it made the scene look a little stagey and awkward, especially with all the cuts that are happening in it. And I'm, like, noticing that it's silent right now. So I want to bring this up. Peta's hair was mm-hmm. distracting me again, especially in the reaping scene. Mm-hmm. I feel like he has Harry Potter's same haircut almost from uh, Deathly Hallows Part 1. Like, is that like a 2011 style or something? Stylish guys that we both are. I, mm-hmm. I couldn't tell you. Um, I don't know. I Josh Hutcherson. So I'm looking at him in this movie, like physically, and I'm thinking, one, how freaked out I was by his neck at the mm. end of Mockingjay Part 1. Yeah, yeah. Um, also... In the book, he's like a little bit chunkier, right? He's supposed he's, to be stocky. He's like he, kind of a stocky dude. Because he eats a lot of bread, essentially. Mm-hmm. The, the well, he, nobody's like has extra pounds, but he's he's kind of like a short, stocky guy. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You know, a friend once told me rock and roll is dead and Lenny Kravitz is fucking the corpse. And it seems very profound to me. That friend was yourself. 
Yeah. No, no, I can't take credit on that one. But uh, that's what I think about every time I see Lenny Kravitz. So you really like Lenny Kravitz, huh? I for the character, I thought he was fine. I mean, Sin is all kind of weird anyway. I there just wasn't enough in the movie to justify his his existence. I felt as like Sinna. an image consultant. Yeah, like in the movie, in the book, I got him just fine. He made sense to me. Um, I feel like he's more justified than Seneca Crane. Seneca Crane has a clearly defined role though like like his 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 employment his vocation at least makes sense do you mean they didn't explain like what's in his job was what his job was but like he just basically shows up to just be like i'm not really supposed to get that involved but i'm going to anyways hmm. here you go i'm also i'm also like the coolest and yet most normalist looking guy mm-hmm. i mean I, my flair solely constitutes like a little bit of like gold eyeliner that's like a true designer you don't don't overdo it you know yeah uh, i i do feel like this movie is always in danger of like woody harrelson just in uh donald sutherland just taking over because i feel like old pros like them like bad directing doesn't phase them mm-hmm. they're just gonna like do their thing anyway i just want to like rehash all of the uh stories i remember sarah michelle geller or uh, uh christy swanson talking about like or, and joss Whedon talking about how horrible donald sutherland was in the <laughs> yeah movie. i know I do, I do remember that every time i see sutherland uh, but speaking of Cinna, I kind of feel like he has more chemistry with Katniss in that scene of him putting the pin on before the games than, for yeah. instance, like the rooftop scene between Katniss and Peta. Uh, he has more chemistry with Jennifer L- or Lawrence in that scene than she has with the entire movie of both Peta and Gail combined. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I didn't really like the countdown. I feel like it should You need a countdown from 50. I don't know. I felt like there was like a way to do that with with tension, and uh, they they did the other way. Yeah. Uh, when they get her up the tree, why don't they just burn her out? They're like, let's yeah. make a fire right next to the tree, but not near the tree. It might catch on fire. Right. They can create a tree and a tree that falls from the fire out of nothing. Like that. That that's that's too much control for them to show the audience they have. Well, it's better to not see them doing it and just it's like the all powerful gamekeepers in this weird arena that's mysterious. I, I feel like it's it's better not to show them doing stuff behind the scenes. Well, like it makes me think when they do this new infamous like Westworld show, like really don't don't spend too much time in like the control room or whatever. Well, there's a reason that's not in the book. I mean, number one, yeah. it's first person. Number two, it's not that interesting. Exactly. Well, it uh, just it raises so many more questions. Mm hmm. And it makes me it makes me like ponder even more like the placement of this post apocalyptic North America. <laughs> yeah. But the train when she talks about the train goes two hundred miles per hour, I'm sitting there thinking like, well, where is the capital? Is it in Chicago? It's supposed to be in uh, like Denver. Denver. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, and they're in basically like Appalachia. It's divergent. It's basically Chicago, right? Yes, I believe so. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah it like never... Dawson says, you ever been to the Appalachian Mountains? Nobody's rooting for those fuckholes. Exactly. It never occurs to them to try to burn Katniss out of the tree when they have her surrounded. There's a girl who can throw knives. She just sits that one out. Yeah. Like, why don't I just throw a knife at her? I don't know. Like, the uh, the the poor man's Rachel McAdams from True Detective? Mm-hmm. Like, who, who, that girl, I just want to say, Chloe, the chick from the Orphan movie, it's like when she finally has the opportunity to kill Katniss, which she's been horny to do, mm-hmm. The whole movie, she'd rather monologue her to death. Oh, of course, yeah. 
Uh, but I mean, realistically, the part of me is my words. Realistically, if these kids were like going to trust each other enough to like ally, mm. they would be screwing like rabbits. Right? Like they know they're gonna die soon. They're they're gonna get it all out. Uh yeah, good point. Especially like before the games, when like they they can like go into each other's rooms and whatnot, and like the training facility after hours, mm-hmm. they would all just be banging like crazy. I guess now I'm confused. Why? Why not? I'm confused between which ones were Kato and which ones are Marvel. But uh, Marvel's uh, the one she shoots with an arrow. Marvel's the one who kills uh, Rue. Okay, so Kato's, Kato's the, the dude who sticks around to the end. He's like the main mm-hmm. antagonist. They look kind of similar. Yeah, I yeah, feel yeah. like Kato should have had like dark hair. First of all, it's Dennis Quaid's kid. Come on. Mm-hmm. But uh, uh, Glimmer and Kato, they're definitely banging, right? You would think so. I mean, at some point. They have had sex. It seems like at, in the movie, in the book, I want to say it seems more like Clove and Kato because they're the same district. So Clove mm. and Kato makes more sense. Mm. Uh, also, it seems like being able to send notes in the gifts is cheating. Mm. I mean, that's are obviously. There, be, yeah. In the book? No, no, because it's it, like Katniss and Hamish have like this like unspoken like ability to communicate through gifts and, and not giving gifts and whatnot. Like where she knows what he's thinking. Right. Obviously in a movie, because he had no internal monologue, you can't do that. So it's like, here's a gift. It says, you call that a kiss. You know? mm-hmm. I just like, like, what is the system? Who, does somebody have to, pay for that where does the transaction take place That's... then who physically loads like do they have a like a like a selection of available gifts presumably who phys- yeah who physically loads it it's on parachutes everything else is like pinpointed down to like millimeters of accuracy and then this is just parachutes that you hope will fall on the same tree as her this is another reason why the less you show about the operation of the games the better you yeah, just it's have like, to go that a parachute will suddenly land in front of you with a gift. Like, logically, don't open that door an inch. Don't even show mm-hmm. me the door, because then I just wonder what's in there. So you liked Rue's death scene, or at least her funeral, right? Um, I'll say that as far as this movie goes, that was like the most life to me. I guess the part where she's actually dying seemed a little too clean to me. Like, she's mm-hmm. just kind of crying a bit, but it's like, this is all very... St- uh, sterile for somebody who's just been like stabbed through the chest with a spear. He's just mm-hmm. like a little bit of tear, and then the camera is just like randomly like focusing in and out on the trees because it's not even interested in looking at Katniss. It's just like trees. That's what you want to see, right? Well, remember how Catherine Hardwick was really obsessed with the nature photography in the mm-hmm. Twilight? Yeah, but I mean, the movie doesn't do any of the same stuff like to to convey to me that Katniss is thinking about her sister at all during that yeah yeah. i mean they did a good job of like she has built some kind of connection with rue and so that's why this is emotionally devastating to her um that's why i think you i almost feel like you do need a a a voiceover because i just don't know how you communicate some of the stuff otherwise 100 you need a voiceover or or you you set it up like it's a reality tv show the hunger games and you 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 cut to you know, talking heads or the, uh, you know, the commentators or whatever. You need somebody to say like, oh, she must remind her of Ru- of uh, Prim or something like that. You need somebody to say it so you know, so you realize it, I think. Because she has a greater connection with Rue than she does with Peta or Gail or her mom mm-hmm. or her own sister. But I mean, I thought as much as I don't like the character because of what he is, Stanley Tucci is amazing. 
I think. I think he, I all the why. all the old pros in this movie, they're just like, get out of the way. Yeah, I mean, he is fucking just chewing up scenery. He's eating it around actors. Like, he's eating the chairs underneath them as they're just being <laughs> their young and, and, and inexperienced in acting. But, like, I think, like, why doesn't he get, like, Bond villain roles or any other kind of roles? Like, why does he have to do, like, indie dramas where he plays somebody's dad, you know, yeah. like Emma Stone's dad? But Toby Jones is not untalented at all. And I feel like he he's... He gets a wig. Yeah, he gets a wig. <laughs> mm-hmm. What are you going to do? Uh, when she finds PETA, she starts hugging him. I don't know if I really buy that. Um, I don't. Think I don't know. It's like it's like it's so, it's like the very end of the movie, and they're suddenly like, "Oh, I guess we got to do a romance." Well, it, 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 to me, there was like a smooth transition to the he's like faking with the other cabal of like like well, they, uh, tributes. They never really established her mixed feelings about Peta and how she doesn't like that she he's you know put her in this position of him having a crush on her. And yet she's not totally sure how she feels about him. And it's like kind of confusing to her. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's the whole real or not real thing. They never established that. So by the time she finds him, we're like, you know, what are we viewing here? Are you actually in like, why are you hugging him right now? Mm-hmm. I think that the, the second movie works a lot better in these regards because it is more faithful to the book. Yeah. I thought they um, really blew through Foxface's death, too. Yeah. And Thresh's. Thresh, Thresh, that was a really weird way for like the mutations to kill him. Wasn't there? There was the second one where there's like some kind of weird zombie thing too. No, it was this one. The, the mutations are supposed to look like the tributes, but okay, okay, I, it, that kind of makes sense to cut that just because, like, what the fuck does that? Even well, look the like? the CGI is sketchy enough as it is. Yeah, yeah, but like Foxface's death, I I like that. Like, it it only worked because Peta didn't realize they were poisonous. Like if they had, they like they talk about how if they tried to trick her into eating those, uh, you know, stealing some of those berries and and having them be poisoned, like she would have like caught onto it because she was really smart. Like the only reason, like her failure was like entrusting Peta, basically. Right. Oh, I thought it was funny when the mutations are chasing them and they're running to the cornucopia. Mm-hmm. Peta with a leg in- injury is outpacing Katniss. Yeah. Just yeah. LOL. I mean, it's pretty. It's much more gruesome. Like he, like he has like a fake leg in the second one, right? He something? loses his leg at the end of this movie. That's right. In the book, yeah, they don't do that. In um, the movie. Well, the the cornucopia, like they really had to work hard to make it seem like suddenly the the evil like devil dogs can't make their way up on that yeah. platform. Like they can do fucking anything up until like when it comes to like a six foot jump or whatever that the humans somehow made it up to. I do have a little bit of uh, sympathy for the filmmakers here because you get to that part in the book and it's like, how the fuck are you going to do this in a movie? You know, like seriously, weird mutated dog zombie things. Yeah. I don't think the cornucopia would have been hard to do slightly more similar to how described in the book. I mean, yeah. Isn't it in the next one? I think it is. No, because it's all water based. But isn't it still like a big golden? I can't remember. I've only seen it once. I think so. Hmm. I, I I did get the impression that Catching Fire was like trying to fix all the things they screwed up in this movie. Well, I mean, <laughs> like the cat, they get the right cat for Buttercup. Talk about the one time where I'm like, yeah, I guess Francis Lawrence sounds like an upgrade. Mm-hmm. Not so bad. All right. Well, I I think that wraps up most of the discussion. I just want to throw a few things out here. Among the actors they considered for Gale, mm-hmm. one of them was Ravi Amell. Amazing. I would have gone with it. I mean, Liam Hensworth looks like he's 30 mm-hmm. already. So 
uh, his character has like nothing to do in this story too. I mean, the whole the whole trilogy. So let's talk about real quick just the the uh, some of the more notable team actresses Peter, who, ad- who auditioned: Haley Stanfield, Abigail Breslin, Emma Roberts, Sharos Ronan, Chloe Moretz, Jadelle Ferdinand, Lindsay Fonseca, Emily Browning, Shailene Woodley, and Kaya Scodelario were all possible Katnesses. Um I think there's a, there's a handful of names that would have really worked and possibly I I mean I, I guess I would say this I think Jennifer Lawrence and I she gets better in the later movies I, yeah, yeah a lot of it I think is just the way they had her play it is not engaging at least to me I know a lot of people are like in this movie so what do I know but um I I just feel like she's playing the character strangely just imagine you know we did that interview with Troy and Belsario where she talked about liking this role she would have killed as Katniss she's like perfect for it oh yeah absolutely absolutely and and even at the age she would have been when auditioning Mm -hmm. I still think she would have been more believable to me as it seems like she has like the perfect body type for it just kind of wiry strong you know well and she knows how to 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 do a lot more with like okay here's the thing Mm -hmm. we're not giving you any dialogue either internal or external Mm-hmm. Which you have to convey a lot of different emotions quickly on your face. She kills that every week on PLL. Yeah, I, I really think she would have been perfect for this role. I mean, who knows what uh, would have happened to her performance once Gary Ross got his hands on it. But I yeah. just like to imagine that movie. Also, directors, uh, James Mangold and Alfonso Cuaron were both considered to direct this movie. Those You're... both would have been massive upgrades over Gary Ross. Yeah, yeah. I, I think Kevin I'd Ross actually be just, more interested in, in James Mangold than Coron in this instance. Coron would have been somebody that I would have considered. Like, if you were going for, like, really good directors mm-hmm. <laughs> for the series, I would have been very interested to hear Coron for Mockingjay. Mm, okay. I, I think that would have been um, just getting into District 13. One of the things I actually loved about the book were the copious mentions of District 13, where, like, it became mm-hmm. painfully aware to you one-third of the way of the book that, like, obviously it's out there. It's not been blown up. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But I think he would have killed with some of those scenes. Um, and, like, and Jennifer Lawrence is the best part of Mockingjay Part 1 just because she gets to talk back to people, <laughs> um, which she doesn't get to do here. Yeah. Um, all right, so make one change. Also, and- she got paid uh, $500,000 for this movie. And like ten million for the next one, yeah. Twenty million for the next one. Um, make one change. It's camera work, but it's also like narratively it should have done something like to get inside her head more. Okay. Try to I mean it's it's such a focus of the book. It's first person. You would think they would have wanted us to get inside of her head more. It yeah. seems so much more important to me than like having a uh a hit soundtrack. Or an uprising in District 11. Yeah. Uh, my one change would be to uh, swap out the directors. Hmm. Uh, let me just throw out this this possible choice here. Mm-hmm. Leslie Linka-Gladder. Okay, I like that. I like that a lot. I She's think, great with young people. Well, on, on Homeland, we, we know she knows how to capture violence. Right. W- without glamorization, but without giving you motion sickness as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, she knows how to do tension. And, you know, she did the PLL pilot, like... Uh, she knows how to invest you in that kind of elevated stakes of teen drama. Well, she she would have been like an awesome choice for this movie. She did now and then. Mm-hmm. She did that um, Lauren web series with Troy and Belisario. So I feel like... I think she's done some West Wing, if I'm not mistaken. 
maybe, but I think you would have definitely got a very good chance. At least Troyan could have had like a a high place in the auditioning <laughs> process. I would like to see less. I mean, she she just won like an Emmy for Homeland, right? Yeah, yeah, she just won an Emmy for Homeland direction. Like, she is a good director, and instead they went with Gary fucking Ross. I mean, uh. I mean, and I think when you have like a uh, well, your female character is the prominent you know main character of your movie series. I'm not saying you have to have a female director. I'm saying wouldn't just hurt to ge- look around. Yeah, in general in Hollywood, you know, some diversity wouldn't hurt you mm-hmm. at all. Oh god. Well, it it really seems like Gary Ross could not be less interested in the romance aspect when it's like I'm sorry, dude, have you read the book? Yeah. I mean, so- it, here, <laughs> let me let me I I uh, actually have the book here. I have this passage I wanted to read just because it's funny. Can you read it in, uh, in, a, in a voice? Can you do it in Effie Trinket voice? No, I can't. Um, okay, so this is early in this. I think it's when uh, Peta's like talking up her hunting skills. Uh, and Katniss says, I hear Peta's voice in my head. She has no idea the effect she can have. Obviously meant to demean me, right? But a tiny part of me wonders if this was a compliment. That he meant I was appealing in some way. It's weird how much he's noticed me. Like the attention he's paid to my hunting. And apparently, I have not been as oblivious to him as I imagined either. The flower, the wrestling, I have kept track of the boy with the bread. I mean, that's some, that's some like 10th grade diary material there. But like, that's kind of what this book is. It's a little cheesy and that's why we like it. And Gary Ross is just like, nah. That's what I was saying is that she has, she should have both the, the skills of a seasoned hunter a girl who's lost a parent and also had to become a parent because her mom like like went catatonic for a while. But also, she is still like a teenage girl. Yeah, as, as and, and has never certain ne- parts of the world has never really thought about romance before. Right and now, she's having to. Yeah, she hasn't confronted feelings about herself, let alone about Gail, and certainly not about Peta. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we're talking about the score. I was just reading like James Newton Howard did the score, which. Whatever. I mean, he's mm-hmm. such a generic composer to me anyway. The original announcement was Danny Elfman and T-Bone Burnett. Mm. Which, just imagine the generic twang that would have been all over that soundtrack. <laughs> yeah. Alright, well, let's get into power rankings. Yeah. Who do you got number one? Uh, Katniss. Really? Yeah, because she has a lot of real estate. Okay. Well, I got Hamish. My, Hamish is my number two. Hamish... Woody Harrelson is just like, I don't, everyone get the fuck out of the way. I'm doing my thing. Yeah. I mean, I don't, <laughs> he's going to play himself mm-hmm. no matter what. <laughs> Shoving his fucking foot on Peta's uh, chest there. <laughs> I seriously paused that just to look at his toenail. I'm uh, like, I wonder when he left, I wanted Peter to like smell his shirt or something. And just yeah. be like, oh, <laughs> well, then he's, he's stealing the bottle of whiskey in his first scene. Scene number two, he's covering the glass when they try to pour. And he's just like, no. And I'm like, wow, alcoholism solved. Yeah. <laughs> he's cured himself. So you got Hamish for two? Yeah, Hamish for two. I've right. got Cinna for number two. Okay. Okay. I like the vibe he brings. Okay, interesting. My number three is Stanley Tucci. Okay, uh, Caesar Flickerman. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's good. I have President Snow, number three. Okay, but I, I, Flickerman is, I, I believe him as this, like, Johnny Carson, like this garish Johnny Carson. Like Dick Clark, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, it just makes me think, like, fuck you, Carson Daly. You're no Dick Clark. <laughs> um, my number four is uh, President well, Yeah, Snow, um, it's like all the scenes are just him, like, like trimming roses. 
mm-hmm. and shit and like having these weird like fatherly conversations with Seneca Crane that are apparently laced with malice although you might not pick that up at first right. it seems like he's his son <laughs> it's just it's like have you ever been out there nobody roots for those people it just it made me flash back to whenever an interviewer asked Kiefer Sutherland about his childhood and I just think mm-hmm. about what a chilling hellscape that was seriously um, my number four is Katniss Everdeen Okay. I wish I could have put you higher, Katniss. I liked you in the book, but you're yeah. kind of uh, maybe if you'd uh, done something when the uh, the bell went off to start the game instead of staying around like a moron. Well, like she has much more urgency when her sister's name is called mm-hmm. than her than her own, you know, moment there in the sun. Um, but yeah, Don Sutherland is fantastic. The movie's a little too obsessed of him, considering that the the literal last image of the film is him. Well, considering he's barely a character in the book, too. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I, I can only assume that Gary Ross was just like closing out the editing of the movie. And he's just like, I can't wait to get into snow in the second one. <laughs> I know I'll be back directing the second one. I just know it. Um, My number five was Wes Bentley's facial hair. Oh, my God. My number five is Seneca Crane's beard. We're <laughs> we're on the same wavelength. <laughs> it's so fucking weird it's the weirdest thing on the capitol and we're talking about people who have like augmented foreheads and bizarre like eyebrows like their it, eyebrows look like those things you saw with the today show like they did the real life peanuts and it's fucking scary like, it's such a strange decision to be like we're gonna make this like throwaway mention of a person to a main character and then give him that hair well it's like if you would hire terry gilliam to do the movie but only let him do like the costumes and the <laughs> wardrobe for one sequence mm-hmm. uh my number six is uh claudius templesmith okay i have root at six okay um my number seven is clove okay i have uh, pita at seven okay um pita doesn't have a lot to do but i i don't even really like josh hutcherson but i i, I guess i feel like he communicates the character well enough i mean he, he does what he can he's not horrible um my, I, th- uh, I like him better than Gale, I'll say that much. Yeah. Uh, my number eight is Rue slash Primrose. Okay. I have uh, Caesar Flickerman at number eight there. I feel like you're doing him a disservice. Okay. I have Clove at nine. I did like Clove, though. I felt like she was she was fun. I'd, I'd like to see that actress and more stuff. She's in that orphan movie, which doesn't appeal to me. But yeah, she looks like she was ready to... She, she showed up on set ready to play the villain. Like, ready to have fun with that. Mm. Um. My number nine is actually Peta slash Gale. Oh, see, I, uh, I have bad news for Gale fans out there. He doesn't even rank. Ooh. Mm-hmm. That's right. What was your number nine? My number nine was Clove, and my number ten is oh. Prim. Okay. My number ten was Lenny Kravitz. Oh. Well, in your fucking face, Gale. I, I, I can't put Peta and Gale on the same level. Like, Gale's such a That's, nothing. You've got a good point there. Yeah, they're not. They, they. I mean, it is, it is definitely more of a thing in the book, the the quote unquote love triangle. Not really, though. Not in the first book. And the first, but, like, here's the thing about that annoys me about like the Team Gale people. She's never into him. She always just feels guilty because she knows that he's kind of into her. Uh, it's like a classic, you know, people expect him to get the get together type of thing. But she's never really thought about him romantically, and it's almost well, like she's trying to talk herself into it the whole time. Let and with Peta, it's it's the opposite, where like she doesn't think she's into him, but like she obviously has like a, a physical connection to him, and she she wants to go to him to be comforted, 
constantly. You just reread the book. Does mm-hmm. she think of Gale even once while in the arena? Oh, yeah, sure. She thinks of him, but mostly it's like, she's like, I, know, like, I wonder what Gale's going to think about all this kissing I'm doing with PETA. Right. But in the movie, I don't think she thinks about Gale while she's in the arena at all. True. Yeah. So, I mean, just by that alone, I feel like the movie is doing even less. They're not, and that, to me, I would have thought the movie would have punched that up rather than dial it down. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Just for the nature, just for the nature of trying to create like yet another like Team Edward, Team Jacob thing. Yeah, and I, I just checked. Um, it's with twenty five minutes left in the movie, or twenty six minutes actually, that Katniss finds Peta wounded. So that and the last twenty six minutes of the movie, they have to shove in the whole romance and everything. There seems like a miscalculation to me. Yeah, well, especially when it starts with the fucking like rock face. Mm-hmm. All right. I would have just stifled a laughter and moved on. <laughs> so, as always, let us know what you guys think out there about Peta and Gale. Um, somebody on Twitter had a comment, or uh, most of the comments were when I was like, Team Gale, why? People are like, because Peta sucks, mm-hmm. which I don't necessarily disagree with, but Katniss actually likes him. And so I'm, I'm, I'm kind of giving her that, mm-hmm. or giving Peta that. Um, Somebody else had an interesting comment I mean, about Gale, though. Oh, the, they said that Gale is the uh, I've loved you, uh, or I've loved you and known your, your whole self type of person, whereas PETA is that I've loved you perfectly from afar. Uh-huh. And they're kind of more into Gale because he like he knew her the whole time and it wasn't like a kind of like a fantasy right. thing yeah, like PETA had. PETA's creepy. His whole his his affectation or his affections are creepy. Um Are Gales less creepy though? No. Because Gail also wants her to conform to what he wants too, like mm-hmm. he he's very big on on like you need to run away with me, like we need to go do like the whole the the runaway guy, the like the we need we need to run away, we need to be free of these, we can't exist as things are now. Like to me that that guy is always a little suspicious. Mm-hmm. Like if only we were free from certain aspects of society or our situation or whatever. It it kind of seems like he's taking her romantic interest a little bit for granted mm. i mean not entirely because it's like he's obviously never really brought this up before i mean he's he's i hate to use the term but he's kind of classically in the friend zone there where it's like he obviously wants it to be more but he doesn't really want to bring it up to change things mm. so anyway. i just think about like what are the other people their age like in district 12 because it just seems like a real fucking murky genetic swamp yeah so how would we do in the Hunger Games? Have you given any thought to this? Like how how do you think you'd do? Um, like what what would your strategy be? Well, I feel like I'm much better at ascertaining what your strategy would be. Oh yeah, what's that? Your strategy is straight up fake alliances and then like uh hey, okay, I know the five of us are working together, but you and I we should sneak off. I found a weapon over here. And then you sneak them off alone and you slit their throat or you poison them or something. And then See, you eat I, them. I, I disagree. I think that's totally your strategy. No, I would, I would run and hide, man. Um, no, I mean, so, I, oops, sorry, let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. The previous conversation we've had, mm-hmm. what is your like post zombie apocalypse strategy? Cannibalism. But that, you know, that's neither here nor there. <laughs> I'm just saying that you're you going to need food. You're, your method was always like you befriend people, and when they least expect it, you kill them and eat them. 
But that's not the same thing as a games where there can be only one winner, though. Um, I feel like... You're going to eat your way to success. I'm not saying I would win. I probably would not win the Hunger Games. I feel like I could... I'd make it past the bloodbath, I think. I, w- I would run and hide. I uh, I feel like I have a certain moral flexibility where I'd be okay murdering other people, mm-hmm. especially in the games. But like maybe make it the top eight. But I, I would need to get lucky to get beyond that, I think. Because like I don't think I would do well in just like straight up like combat, like it would no. it would it would have to be like I'm sneaking up on people. And well, I have no weapon sort of skills thing. to speak of. Well, and I wouldn't I wouldn't have a weapon because I would have booked it from the cornucopia. So I mean, I'm, I'd have had to get creative. To be fair, if I could really like peel myself apart, I'm only good at three things in life: oh, being smart, being good looking, being humble. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how those are going to really serve me in hunger games. Let's put another filter on it though. What was your strategy? What was your number one go-to strategy when you were playing Goldeneye? Ah, uh, gosh. What was your weapon? I usually, uh, I would play with uh, Silence PPK, and I would usually find a good place where I could pick somebody off from, like, way across the, like, whatever, you know, map we were playing on. See, you and I... One-hit kills, of course, so... We're not totally dissimilar. My weapon was always Proxy Mines. Yeah, I know. I played the numbers. I I mean when I play video games I'm I'm always like stealth archer mode like I like creep around everywhere and I'm trying to kill people from afar, um, so I I don't know how I would get my hands on any type of uh, long range weaponry in the games mm-hmm. so that would put me at a disadvantage I'd mostly just be trying to hide probably I like I feel like I'd want to like could I just like wait it all out um, the food thing would be a problem though well, I'm, think... I'm not terrible in nature but I'm not a hunter either well I think that. Candice was at least smart about, you know, even though she wavered way too long when the, the thing kicks off, mm-hmm. at least she goes and grabs that pack. Yeah. The survival pack and then runs off. Because, yeah, I mean, it's it cannot be understated or overstated enough when, when Woody Harrelson says, like, like uh, exposure can kill you. Or I guess mm-hmm. the, uh, the, the coach says exposure can kill you just as well as a weapon. <laughs> I mean, if I were in the Hunger Games in the training part, that's all I would focus on is like survival uh skills like setting snares and, and that the two you know, things that i would avoid is like the memory match game mm-hmm. i don't know what that's going to serve me that that serves like hey this girl is smart we don't have another way of showing you that so yeah. she does memory also match. uh anything that shows off my cake decorating skills i'm just going to set that aside mm-hmm. <laughs> i don't know what, what kind of like 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 body makeup i'm gonna find out of the woods i okay. like though that like at least they don't they don't you have no idea what the environment's going to be when you go into the games. I yeah, was actually really different. curious when they did the clip from like the uh, the ruined city one. Mm-hmm. I kept thinking like that would be cool. I feel like you'd have a lot more opportunity for weaponry in that one with all this yeah. like, rubble and shit. Yeah. Well, I'm always fascinated by like post-apocalyptic cities. Something about the architecture of what's left behind when people are no longer in the equation always fascinates me. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I feel like putting Katniss back in an environment that looks like her backyard. That's almost, uh, convenient. Yeah, it almost shouldn't be as stressful for her as it is. Mm-hmm. This, this is like, you know, literally her backyard, it seems like. Yeah. Especially when they have her, like, use a little, like, video window thing to, like, switch to a forest. And she's, like, you know, calm for a moment. It's like, mm-hmm. yeah, that worked out pretty well for her. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. It's almost kind of geared directly towards her. Yeah. All right. Um, so, PLL cast. Who, who from PLL should have been in this movie? Well, more so than anything, we have to find the right role for Brant Doherty as Nolcon. 
Or wouldn't it be Gail? Wouldn't it or be maybe, maybe Kato? Kato? Yeah, wouldn't it be yeah. Kato? But like, it's like a mixture of Kato and the dude from the second one with the trident. Oh, Finnick, yeah. How great would it be if Noel Khan had a trident? Um, it would be very great indeed. Um, I think the tough one is Peta. Peta's a weird role to cast anyway because it's like we need like a short, stocky guy who's. Don't say Lucas, anybody. Don't ever yeah, say Lucas. No, Lucas wouldn't be right for it. Like, I, I'm not sure who you'd cast as Peta. Um, I know. I've been watching you from afar. Yeah. Um, maybe Mikey Montgomery is Peta. I guess I don't know. Ooh. It's not. It's not. Peta's not an easy role for Peta. No. What if it was? Uh, would it be interesting if it was gender swapped? You could, well, that that doesn't work. Um, with yeah. you know the boy and the girl from each each district, you'd, you'd have to change the rules there a little bit. Mm-hmm. I mean, who who would your gender swap Peta be? I I don't know who my Katniss would be, but I feel like there's much more options. There, like in PLL, there's a lot, there's a larger like stable of talented female actors. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, I think you could you could do something interesting with Lucy Hale as Peta, but you could also really do like a Troyan as Peta. I think that would be interesting. I feel like Troyan is just she is Katniss. That would be perfect. Yeah, she would be. I mean, but Shay Mitchell as Gale. Mm, I can see that. Even even Ashley Benson would be great as Gale, as the female Gale. Um, yeah, I don't know. Ezra's Hamish. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he's got to be weirder though. Toby is Hamish. Oh. It's not quite old enough, but yeah. Yeah. Well, who would you cast Tyler Blackburn as? Ooh, that's a good question. He could be Gale. Actually, he might be a good PETA. Hmm. Okay. I mean, it's a little different, obviously, but, um, you know, give him blonde hair. Well, I'm sad to say I've never seen Tyler Blackburn in anything other than PLO. Um, I I know he's done other things, uh, a lot of indie movies. He did that Paul Hunziker mm-hmm. short film, but I haven't actually seen those. I'm sad to say. Um, what if Lucy Hale was Clove? I would love to see her play up a straight a straight up villain. Oh yeah. I think we've said this many times before. Yeah. Because I get the impression I get of Lucy Hale the person is that she is a really wholesome, fun, sweet person. Mm-hmm. And I think that pulling out the the villainous in her will be so much sweeter. Definitely. Uh, yeah. Bianca Lawson is Rue. Uh, <laughs> That's a joke. I was gonna say, I'm like, could she play a nine year old? She, she can still could. pass for a twelve year old. Yeah. Rue's like Katniss. Everywhere clocks are running backwards. Mm-hmm. You're a very old soul. Who would Nolan North play in the Hunger Games? Who wouldn't he play? He could be a great Snow. Yeah, although like I guess in my idealized version, if we're recasting, like Snow's not even a character, but. Um... Um, he could I mean, be a fun Hamage. Yeah, yeah. Uh, or Caesar Flickerman. Would you do like Laura Layton as uh, Effie? Uh, you could. I'm trying to think Effie. I mean, it, the character design for Effie in the movie is so weird. I don't know. Would you repeat that or would you just go in a different direction? Oh, I think you have to go somewhat different. But I mean, it'd still be weird. You wouldn't mm-hmm. reuse, but... I don't know. I mean, like... The thing about the design of the capital fashion and that whole look um, bothered me 
Is it is it untrue to the book? Not really. It's I guess it seems like the movie's more interested in that than other things. I mean, we yeah. start we start the movie in the capital with Caesar and, and Seneca Crane. Yeah, yeah. And then we go to like the backwoods. We go to the fucking like wrong turn, you know, mm-hmm. set or whatever. Um I'm just curious, is anyone who's found headcanon, did they not find it through the PLL <laughs> like, podcast? Why are these guys talking about Pretty Little Liar so much? Yeah. Because if if you haven't, but you are slightly curious about PLL, boy, do we have the podcast for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, this seems like a good place to end this yeah. episode. Uh, thanks for listening, everyone. I think we did just get a review today from uh, NWE17 appreciate it uh i know a lot of people are kind of hesitant to hear two people who weren't huge uh huge in the harry potter fandom talk about harry potter and they they seem to like what we said so that was nice to hear and uh yeah we'll be doing catching fire next week i think we're both really looking forward to that i think we kind of like knew that this was just going to be the one that we had to struggle through to get to catching fire Mm. yeah new director and, and just better better budget and everything yeah and talking about jenna malone Yes, yes. <laughs> and uh, Finnick. I like the guy who plays Finnick, too. I feel like it's like just big upgrades all around the next movie. Which is crazy, because he is decent. He is strong as Finnick, and he was horrible in Snow White and the Huntsman, I felt like. That's right, yeah. Well, that whole movie's, I mean... Well, wasn't yeah. there like a brief moment where it was like they were throwing out Case 2's name for Joanna? Was? Yeah, yeah. I, I, and I was like, yeah. I am into it. That um, would have been awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to thank Raquel for uh, sharing a tidbit from the IMDb <laughs> trivia for this movie with uh, Wes Bentley talking about his facial hair, which is modeled on his own facial hair. Also explaining what Target is. <laughs> uh, All right. Well, uh, if you want to get in touch with us, we're at Pod on Twitter. Uh, our website page is broswatchpll2.com slash headcanon. And- oh, oh. And I should say thank you, Michelle, too, for emailing us and um, making some suggestions, especially about some of the the franchises we should look into in the future. It was appreciated. Um, one of them I, I haven't told you yet. One of them was Die Hard. And I explained that I think we both probably would have a good time with the first three Die Hards. It's the second two or the last two that. Uh, well, these are my these are my bullshit rules for what kind of movies we do, what kind of franchise we do. I feel like the the narrative should be serialized. And I would ding the Die Hard franchise for that because what happens in one movie rarely has anything to do with what happens in the next movie. Just from one to three? Because mm-hmm. I, I feel like what we're trying to get into here is like these franchises, they're, they're quasi-TV shows almost in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, this is kind of like a new thing that Hollywood's doing here that we're, we're trying to kind of analyze and break down and see, you know, this is the modern blockbuster here where well, everything's connected. One of the bullshit titles we threw out in the gestational period for this was, I think, Shared Universe. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah, the title yeah. for the podcast. Mm-hmm. Also, one of my bullshit rules is minimize regret, minimize Jai Courtney as much as possible. Yeah, yeah, this is a Jai Courtney free zone, mm-hmm. if at all possible. Although, I guess if we do diversion, that won't be the case. <laughs> <laughs> oh! They just need to make a movie with like also, Sam, Sam Worthington, Jai Courtney, and Garrett Hedlund. And then About fire it into the sun. It goes yeah. off a cliff and explodes. <laughs> and the time has changed. And they never exist in the first place. And nobody's investigating this anonymously. Mm-hmm. <laughs>
Um, yeah, I mean, also, I wonder, does that cancel out? Does that retroactively like cast a shadow that cancels out the Terminator movies? Yeah. Ooh. Terminator 4 is such a disaster. I mean, I feel like like we'd really have to have nothing left to talk about if we're going to do the Terminator series. It's really all about T2, really. I mean, yeah. Uh, All right. Well, uh, thanks for listening, everyone. We'll be back next week to talk about the Hunger Games colon Catching Fire. By the way, how should I title that for the podcast? Should it just be Catching Fire or should it be the Hunger Games Catching Fire? It should probably be just Catching Fire. Okay. I'm glad Uh, you worked that out. Because it's weird when they they have to. I mean, what is it in the the Divergent ones? Isn't it like Insurgent, uh, a Divergent? movie or something isn't it crazy like that yeah let me look it up because it's it's dumb marketing insurgent okay it's what does the poster say here the divergent series insurgent although i think they just call it insurgent like the technical title right right yeah all right well catching fire next week Mm -hmm. see you then bye-bye